Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID-19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. In recognition of National Hispanic Heritage Month, today we're discussing the impact of COVID-19 on the Latinx community. I'm joined today by Dr. Veronica Alvarez-Galeana, Medical Director for OBGYN Services at Community Health of South Florida in Miami. Dr. Alvarez-Galeana is an alternate delegate for the ACOG delegation to the AMA. Dr. Diana Ramos, Adjunct Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Keck USC School of Medicine in Los Angeles. Dr. Ramos is a delegate and co-chair for the ACOG delegation to the AMA. And Dr. Ricardo Correa, Program Director of Endocrinology Fellowship and the Diversity Director, GME, at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Correa is also a delegate of the AMA's IMG Section Governing Council. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Ramos, we're going to start with you. Um, The Latinx community was initially one of those hit hardest by COVID-19. Seven months later, uh, we're still seeing a disproportionate impact. Can you talk about that? Yes, Todd. Unfortunately, the Latinx community is oftentimes in that category of employment that is considered essential workers. So we are the ones that are working in agriculture, in housekeeping, uh, the medical assistance, and many of these jobs are not able to be done remotely. Um, And so that's one of the contributing factors. The other contributing factor is that many of us live in uh, multiple families in one household. I had one patient this past weekend that had nine people living in her household. So these are some of the the things that are contributing. And um, the other big thing is economics. Um, If you don't work and you're not there in person, you don't get paid. So all of these things contribute along with the fact that there's a lot of underlying medical conditions, pre-existing medical conditions that once infected, uh, a patient can actually have worse outcomes. Dr. Correa? Yes. so very important that, that uh, something that we have seen besides uh, what Dr. Ramos mentioned is that uh, we have been having some disparities that has been underlying from the past. This is nothing new. We know that underrepresented minorities have less access to healthcare system. The only thing is that COVID just flourished that. And we are seeing that these people that have more chronic disease because they have less access to the newest medication or less access to the healthcare systems, now they are already sick and then they are getting an an infection that just flourish that sickness, the inflammation that is being caused. For example, what I'm seeing in diabetes is that there is an increased insulin resistance, meaning that just your insulin requirement gets so high, even in type 2 diabetes, that your insulin requirement gets so high, and then you get a lot of other complications. So besides all of the things that we have to do as a Latino community that you have to be in the front line, you also have underlying conditions that you were not taking care of because of many other reasons of social determinant of health, and now COVID just flourished that. 
that theme of uh, COVID making everything that was already bad worse is a consistent one. Dr. Alvarez Galeana, is this what you're seeing in your practice? Absolutely. And I will add also that we have a lot of migrant workers in our community and um, patients that don't have insurance or they have their green card holders. And so um, because of the public charge rule, they're also less likely to be coming to our clinics, becoming requesting um, assistance because they are scared about the consequences of that. And so um, although there's been a little bit of talk about this not affecting patients who have COVID, the patients are already are losing trust in the system. And it really affects um, issues in terms of prevention of, of chronic diseases and the disparities that were already discussed, and then also um, the spread of disease. That's a really important topic, these uh, basically access to care issues and the barriers that have been exacerbated by COVID-19. Dr. Cray, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, uh, Todd. Now that Dr. Alvarez mentioned uh, about the public charge rule, this is something very important that I don't know if everybody's aware of this. And I think that the physician community and the entire community should be aware. One month before COVID hits the U.S., there was a rule that was established by this administration where people that are in the process of getting some type of permanent uh, status in the U.S., if they are using any of the federal funding, Medicaid, any of the federal funding, they will be ding, so the process cannot continue. This was a big issue at the beginning because COVID hit and then people, of course, were afraid. Like, even they were sick at home and not just because of COVID, sick because they're heart failure, dying from heart failure at home, dying from all of this. They didn't want to go to the hospital. Then there was a pause. They say, the president came and said, well, public charge rule would not affect COVID people. And okay, that's what's fine. August of this year, he eliminated again and he said public charge rule is again in in rule. So now we are back to zero. Nobody uh, know this. And again, the immigrant community, and we are not talking about illegal immigrants because everybody say, ah, oh, illegal. No, we are talking about legal immigrants that are looking for permanent uh, status, don't want to go to the physicians or to healthcare because they feel afraid. I'm curious, uh, in your practices, you know, that's a big challenge, clearly. What do you do uh, to inspire trust and to work through barriers that are like that? Dr. Correa, what do you think? So so one of the things is that uh, uh, I, I volunteer, and this is the main place where I see my Latino uh, patients, is I volunteer in a clinic where they, we take we're trying to undocumented illegal, uh, undocumented immigrants, sorry. Uh, uh, and then we really don't care if they have insurance or not. So what we are trying to do is just provide care to them. So this helped me in the sense that we are just being funded by grants, by uh, anonymous people that want to help the community. And that's the way that we get some, sometimes we get some pharmaceutical when the medication want to be expired, they send that to us, and that's the way that we try to survive. Uh, so in that setting, 
uh, we, we, we try to do that. And we are in a safe zone where all everybody knows that they cook the, the, the um, that the uh, the clinic is there, and the that the clinic is there, and then the uh, there is a more trust because this clinic has been there for a long time. We have had certain incidents in this last six months, having some police outside the clinic. Why the police have to be outside the clinic? We don't know. So we have to call our representative that is in the Latino caucus and they have to call, they have to come and then uh, talk to the police leaders and say something. The other incident that we have was uh, in our testing. And there were uh, ICE uh, um, cars outside the testing center. Why ICE is outside the testing center that has nothing to be with public health. So we also have to call, thank God, we have some group, very strong Latino caucus in the Congress in Arizona, and they immediately start calling their contacts, and that was destroyed. But yes, but then, you know, even the, the community trusts you, seeing this, then you have to gain the trust again. And, mm. and it's something that should not happen because it's a public health problem that is not affecting only undocumented people, it will affect the entire American people. If these people get sick, the entire American people will get sick. Dr. Alvarez Galeana, both you and Dr. Ramos are OBGYNs. What, what issues are you seeing with Latinx women in particular during COVID-19? Well, for Latinx women, um, everything has become more difficult and especially for pregnant women who already um, are generally a population that are they're isolated in the sense of, um, you know, they're working, even though they're pregnant, working very hard, usually in these frontline jobs and trying to avoid any kind of um, infection, uh, from, especially from COVID. So um, these patients are, are feeling lonely. I've had a lot of more incidences of uh, postpartum depression and intrapartum depression. So I've noticed that as well, um, especially amongst my patients who are majority Latin. Um, Latinx patients, and um, they're scared to even come to the hospital. Sometimes they are asking about home births, and we have, um, you know, had conversations with them about the safety precautions that we've taken in our hospitals. So that has improved over time in terms of the the um, fear that patients have. But I believe that it's um, it's been a very isolating event for many pregnant women. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Dr. Ramos, anything to add to that? Yeah, definitely. So yes, there is a lot of fear uh, in terms of showing up and perhaps getting infected by going to their prenatal care appointments, as well as, you know, as Dr. Galindo said, delivery that you're going to get um, COVID at, in the hospital. 
the other thing to consider is that many practices are actually doing remote or telemedicine, but then this again exposes the disparities that have already been existing. And some of that is a lack of access to the internet, something as simple as that. So to be able to do um, a, a visual, a telemedicine that involves a camera, that's not always available for, for um, patients or Hispanic patients. The other thing too, is that many of those appointments tend to be phone calls when there is no internet access. And yes, there is an, a, an audio uh, appointment, but you miss so much when you don't have the visual component. You can actually see what a patient is, what their environment is, is it neat, is, it, is she uh, disheveled, are there symptoms of depression that you can actually see clinically? So all of these things contribute to, uh, again, continued disparities. Um, and then the other thing too is with the children um, and, and just re reminding uh, patients to continue the preventive care, such as immunization, especially right now for influenza, not only for themselves, but for their children. And again, that lack of trust that they're gonna get infected if they go into uh, an office um, that they, they may acquire COVID keeps folks uh, away from uh, getting that preventive care that can actually help save a life. Well, communication is a big issue, and I think you're pointing out that, I mean, we're heading into the fall right now uh, where preventive care like flu shots are incredibly important. What are the ways that you all, you know, work to uh, improve uh, communications and address these kind of messaging challenges that affect the Latinx population uh, during the pandemic? Uh, Dr. Alvarez Galeana, will you start? Yes, so um, we come together as a team in our clinic, starting from the the top down about communicating with patients through our marketing, um, through uh, we send them text messages to remind them of their appointments. And also if they're having telemedicine appointments, we can communicate through there, the front desk, the nurses. We all try to create a welcoming environment um, for the patients. We um, are screening everyone who comes in through the door. So patients are aware that we are taking safety precautions um, to prevent the spread of, of uh, COVID-19. And so just um, in communicating with patients and, and open-end communication is also very important when you're seeing a patient in the visit to make sure that you're answering all the questions and concerns that they have. Uh, any other thoughts, Dr. Correa or Dr. Ramos? So something that we have utilized is the champions from the community. So it depends on, 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 on the setting that you are. So when you're in a, in, a, in a community care center where you are involved in the community, you always can find champions that are people from the community, not healthcare workers, but people from the community that are very interested in this. So we try to prepare those patients so they can spread the real facts of what is happening through their neighbors and, and then try spreading the things. Because at the beginning we were having a lot of not uh, scientific evidence. And I'm not telling about the hydro uh, hydrochloroquine and things like that. I'm talking about what my abuelita said that was drinking hot tea to kill the virus. Mm -hmm. And then you get burned and then you have to go to the ER and that was worst. So then trying to educate the community because in the Latino community, there is a lot of trust in the elderly and the elderly, what they say is what you do. But we not, no one in during this generation has seen coronavirus. So there is no nothing. 
So we have to educate those. So they, those champions were just going into the community and then trying to clarify. We trained them a little bit with some pamphlets, with some lectures, small, but they were the ones that were spreading also the word. Mm -hmm. Well, that uh, that kind of work, Dr. Correa, maybe that is one of the reasons that you were recently named as one of the 100 inspiring Hispanic Latinx scientists in America. Uh, how do we do better with welcoming diversity into the scientific community? And how does diversity in the physician workforce influence the care for underserved populations? Yeah, so I think that uh, uh, something that uh, uh, that has been ongoing, uh, this group that published this list also published a list, I think at the beginning of the year on black African-Americans, uh, scientists and physicians, um, is to make understand the entire country that science do not look only a one race or ethnicity. Science is diverse and many people from different backgrounds are contributing in to the US in many things. And then bringing this among of different people from different backgrounds uh, and demonstrating that they are making some changes in their communities, in different, uh, in, in science in general, in medicine in general, uh, that I think that can create a conscious to the community, scientific community, and to the, the general public that really there's many people that are contributing here and it's not just one group. So that is something that uh, I think that, uh, that that is very important. The other part that is important is that when you think about uh, people from from diverse background, you just you don't focus on, okay, um, uh, these are uh, originally from the U.S. or that they immigrate from the U.S. They are in the U.S. and they want to contribute to this country. They embrace this country as their country and they give everything that they can to this country and help the communities that they are serving. If this is an African-American black community, they will embrace, they will, they will help that. This is a Hispanic Latino community, they will help that. And, and that's something that was very inspiring seeing these two lists, and this will continue. It's not, this is the first year that they are doing this, but this will continue just to make people realize that there is a lot lot of people from diverse background doing a lot of things for the for the for America mm -hmm. and many people need to know about this well uh, last question for the three of you for a quick round here what uh, you know when you look at the disparities that have long been affecting the Latinx community and you look at how COVID has exacerbated this you know are there any opportunities that you see right now uh, coming out of this situation uh, to improve that Dr. Ramos yeah, I think COVID has exposed what we already knew what was wrong, all the disparities. And so with that, you know that we have to step up and take into consideration population health. Because if you look at the numbers, uh, we are going to be Hispanics, the majority, by 2050. And so the, the whole country's health is going to be driven by our health whether you're here legally, illegally, and preventive health, and really trying to build up um, everyone's health is going to be critical, taking into consideration wherever they live, whatever their, their access is. And so it's an opportunity for us to come up with solutions and more importantly, involve the community to help us identify the solutions to improve the health, not only of Hispanics, but of everyone. So it, it just has said, you know, it's, it's a, a, I see it as a, a green light to start focusing on improving the health of Hispanics as well as everyone else, because we're gonna drive up the health of the country.
well, those are important points, and I think that's a good place for us to stop uh, for today. Uh, this concludes our COVID-19 episode, and I want to thank Dr. Alvarez-Galeana, Dr. Ramos, and Dr. Correa for being here today and sharing your perspectives. We'll be back soon with another COVID-19 update. For updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us, and please take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.